Hello. Hi. Um, I got this matching loungewear set at Target. It is very like fall Thanksgiving vibes. Um, the pants are the same. Um, hey, you're monochromatic today too. I'm in all gray. So is that, my blanket. Nice. That's the mood for Thanksgiving week, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just like, who gives a shit? It doesn't I'm going to go do laundry like this. But I feel like when you're monochromatic, you just look like you're rich. So yeah, weirdly. Mm-hmm. And I never, I used to think that like, you know, back when like Juicy Couture track suits were really popular when we were like in middle school. <laughs> yeah. I used to think they looked so bad and trashy. Yes. I was like, ooh, who would ever Trailer wear Trailer park mom. Yeah. But now I'm like, mm, look at me in my little <laughs> sweatsuit. I look like I have a net worth of 3.5 mil. Mm-hmm. I look like I know what cryptocurrency is. <laughs> I don't. Um, but I, I still d- haven't figured out what Bitcoin is. Someday, I know, me no. neither. I have no idea. But don't tell a man that. No, they reference it in shows and I laugh like I got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I saw this. Um, oh, what are they called when it's like, uh, it, it was like a little chart with the four golden girls on it. And um, one axis was uh, knows what cryptocurrency is versus doesn't know what cryptocurrency is. And then the other axis was like invests in cryptocurrency or doesn't invest. So like Dorothy knows what it is and doesn't invest in it. Blanche doesn't know what it is and doesn't invest in it. Sophia knows what it is and invests in it. Rose (laughs) does not know what it is, but does invest in it. I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. That makes sense. Yeah. That's great. What else did I have to tell you? Oh, I wanted to wish you a happy Thanksgiving birthday week. Thank you. How was Uh, your birthday? Nothing bad happened on my birthday. That's Um, good. My my bad luck happened a couple days before, so the universe spared me this Mm -hmm. go around. But the eclipse happened on my birthday. Mm -hmm. The longest eclipse of for however long. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I woke up at 3 a.m. and I watched it. I did not watch it. I was fast asleep. I remembered that it was happening the night it was happening. And then I decided not to wake up at three in the morning. (laughs) I went to bed at midnight because I always stay up until at least midnight on my birthday. Mm -hmm. So I can be the first person to wish me happy birthday. Yeah. Um, And then I set an alarm for three. And as I was doing it, I'm like, you're a fucking psychopath setting an alarm for three hours from Mm -hmm. now. Um, then I'm like, but if I don't do it, then I'm going to be pissed off at myself because it's a eclipse and it's also on your birthday. Yeah. And then my alarm went off at three in the morning and I was like having a fucking panic attack because I couldn't figure out why I was awake, where the noise was coming from, oh why it was God. dark in my room. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, then it hit me. I remembered what was going on. But yeah, for those couple of seconds, sheer pain. <laughs> um, I heard that... 2022 is going to be a big year for Taurus and Scorpio placements. I forget why, but I just know that 2022 is my year as a Taurus sun, Scorpio moon. It's just, it's going to be the age of me. I'm going to finally get a personality. (laughs) 
I am going to maybe wash my sheets. It's big, exciting stuff for me. That is amazing. (laughs) So don't be surprised if, boom, January 1st, I'm a different person. Well, I don't know if I'm going to like you if you're a different person. So you probably won't. (laughs) Maybe don't wash your sheets. then. (laughs) Okay, I'll leave the sheets. I'll leave the crumbs. (laughs) <laughs> I know my worth. <laughs> um, that's disgusting. I do, in fact, wash my sheets, contrary to the rumors um, that you said. <laughs> <laughs> that someone has been circulating about me um, without my consent. I decided to go back to Poland. I really like Poland. Um, I think it's very cool. And I don't think we've been here since um, JP2, a million years ago, when we did that, when I had that weird ear infection. Yeah, Um, I think it's been a while. I think I considered going back at one point um, and changed my mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it has been a while. I think that was episode 11. It's been a while. Yeah. And then like, we've been in the area, like we've Mm -hmm. mentioned it in passing a lot when we've been in like Hungary um, and Germany sometimes, I think. But um, I'm excited to be back. I think the history of the area is really fascinating. Poland just, it's had a rough time. Like all throughout history, its borders are just constantly redrawn. Like it's, it's been... like the middle child in a tumultuous family. Hey, heard that, sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe that's why I like Poland so much. Um, we're both middle children. Um, so a long time ago, I like stumbled across this saint. I think I found her when I was looking at um, Pope John Paul for the first time. Um, And I've been like waiting to talk about her. So this finally is St. Jadwiga, um, the first female monarch of the kingdom of Poland. Um, So we'll get some background about a few of her family members and her crazy family and about the kingdom. And then we'll talk about Jadwiga. Set the scene. The year is 1373, which means we're right about at the halfway point of the Hundred Years' War over in France and England, just to situate us in time. Um, The most infamous wave of Black Plague had devastated Europe just a few decades prior, um, killing about a third of the population. Um, So we are post that outbreak of Black Plague and pre-Joan of Arc. <laughs> um, on the horizon, quickly approaching is the Western Schism, but we're not quite there yet. The papacy has not yet moved to Avignon. So we zoom in on the kingdom of Hungary. I'll get to Poland, Hungary first, because you'll see. Um, the kingdom of Hungary had been founded in the year 1000 under the Christian Grand Prince Stephen I, who is now a saint, Saint Stephen. Um, up till the 1320s, the kingdom of Hungary was an oligarchy ruled by powerful nobles, 
Um, this all changed under King Charles I, who basically stole all the nobles' land um, for himself and centralized the power structure, as well as adding Croatia to the kingdom. So it became the kingdom of Hungary and Croatia. Um, Charles I was a member of the Capetian House of Anjou, or Anjou, I assume, if you want to get a little fancy, want to zhuzh it up a little. Um, the Capetian dynasty was obviously French, It was, but it had branches all over Europe. Charles's son, Louis I, or Louis the Great, succeeded his father in 1342 to become King of Hungary and Croatia. Louis's mother, Elizabeth of Poland, was a devout Catholic. Um, there are going to be a million Elizabeths in this story. Very sorry about that. I will try to keep them uh, separate from each other. Um, Louis's mother, Elizabeth of Poland, was a devout Catholic and exerted a lot of religious influence over her children, which is why Louis I kind of um, became such a prominent like Catholic monarch. Um, one of the first things he did when he became king was to launch a crusade against Lithuania, which was the last European kingdom that had not accepted Christianity. Um, more on Lithuania later. Um, we have listeners in Lithuania, by the way. Hello. Howdy. Um, welcome. <laughs> howdy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> a big, warm howdy to Lithuania. From me to you. <laughs> Um, Louis, okay, Louis maintained the absolute power of the monarchy that um, his father Charles had established, but he did grant more freedoms to the peasants. Um, he gave the serfs like right of movement, so they were no longer tied to like, this is where I was born, this is where I work, this is where I die. Like, they were allowed to move around. Imagine um, being excited about having that right. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought that they were people too. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm sure it was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why would you even think that this would be something to do? Like, have you watched The Great at all? No, I've considered it, though. I highly recommend it. Um, I don't want to talk it up too much in case you watch it and you're like, wow, this fucking sucks. But um, <laughs> I think you would like it. It's really funny. Um, and so that reminded me of Catherine the Great, one of the things she did. Um so he also gives their nobles a lot of concessions, basically returning a lot of the things that his father had stolen from him so that the nobles didn't just like rise up and murder him <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, so in the same year Louis took the throne, he married Margaret of Bohemia, the daughter of Holy Roman Emperor Charles IV. Margaret was a whopping seven years old um, at the time of the marriage. Yeah, no. Unfortunately, yes. No. Yeah, she was, though. <laughs> but, but no. Oh, just wait. We I'm will... just picturing, like, the age of my, like, my nephew. I think he just turned eight, and he's older than her. Yep. No, it's really bad, and it's going to get worse, um, like unfortunately. This. Yeah. Um, so she was seven when they got married. She died at the age of 14. They had no children together. I wonder well, why. I hope. I wonder why. 
four years later, Louis married Princess Elizabeth of Bosnia, who was an old lady at 14. Um, a spinster. <laughs> <laughs> Louis and Elizabeth had to get a papal dispensation about four months after their marriage because it turned out that they fell within the prohibited degree of kinship. They were, I think, second cousins. Um because Louis's mom was cousins with Elizabeth's grandma. I think that makes you second. I'm not sure, though. Um, one historian, I forgot to write his name down. My bad. Um, he argued that the timing of their request for a dispensation suggests that Elizabeth might have been pregnant and that they wanted to ensure that the baby would be legitimate and would be allowed to inherit the throne which makes sense to me four months after marriage. Um, But if she was pregnant, the baby was stillborn. So now we skip ahead to 1370, where two important events happen. Number one, Elizabeth gives birth to the heir that she and Louis have been waiting for for 17 years. It's a girl. They name her Catherine. And number two, Louis inherits the kingdom of Poland. So that's how we get to Poland. Back in 1338, Louis's father, Charles, had made a deal with Louis's maternal uncle, Casimir III of Poland, in which Louis would inherit the kingdom of Poland if Uncle Casimir died without a son. So that is how the kingdoms of Hungary, Croatia, and Poland all fell under the jurisdiction of Louis and were reserved for his daughter, Catherine, to inherit upon his death. Okay. Upon Louis taking the Polish throne, Catherine became the most eligible bride in Europe. Um, Everybody wanted their son to marry infant Catherine. When she was four years old, she was betrothed to Louis I of France, who was the son of King Charles V. This alliance was meant to bring together the Anjou and the Valois branches of the Capetian dynasty. So they were like distant cousins. Love it. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> Keeping it together. Real close. Close family. Very um, tightly knit, I would say. <laughs> um, the, the family tree is a wreath. <laughs> <laughs> in 1371, only a year after the birth of Catherine, Louis and Elizabeth had another daughter, Mary or Maria. Before her first birthday, she was betrothed to Sigismund of Luxembourg, which is quite a mouthful. He was a member of the Luxembourg dynasty. So that's kind of their, so they have their connection to France with Catherine. They have their connection to Luxembourg through Mary. And then in 1373, Louis and Elizabeth had their third and final daughter, Jadwiga. She was named after her ancestor, Hedwig, or Hedwig of Silesia, who was the aunt of St. Elizabeth of Hungary from way back in like episode 20-something. I don't remember. Um, So these people are all related. (laughs) So sometimes Jadwiga's name appears as Hedwig or Hedwig which is the Hungarian version of the name. Jadwiga is the Polish version. I'm going to call her Jadwiga so as to not conjure the image of a beloved fictional snowy owl who delivers mail. (laughs) (laughs) 
Another reason I'll call her by the Polish version of her name is that historians say that she had more Polish blood than any other ethnicity. Both her grandmothers were Polish princesses. They belonged to the Piast dynasty, which was the first ruling dynasty in the history of Poland. So this is like old royal blood. So in August of 1374, um, Jadwiga was betrothed to the Habsburg William of Austria. She was about a year old at the time, and he was about four years old. So at least it wasn't, like, crazy disgusting. It was, like, Aurora and Prince Philip vibes. Their parents are really in, like, the baby matchmaking business, though. (laughs) Well, I think we'll see why um, soon. Because, like, I don't know, kids died all the time. Like, shit was crazy. You never knew what was going to happen. It's, like kind of like scrambling for some sense of control over the future, I think, Mm -hmm. especially when you're like in charge of multiple kingdoms, you're like, well, they're just taking all the precautions. Yeah. Baby, (laughs) baby matchmakers, but at least there wasn't that disgusting age gap. Um, Mm -hmm. That's good. Jadwiga and William were united in a provisional marriage, which meant that there was no additional act required to marry them. They would just automatically become married when Jadwiga turned 12 years old. That was apparently the marriageable age, which (laughs) I can't even, I don't even, like what? I remember being 12 (laughs) and I never should have been married at that age. No, it's ridiculous. I was still Googling on the internet. I didn't know life. (laughs) I think 12 was the year I got really into whistling. (laughs) And I'm still very good at it. So I was laying the foundation back then for me to thrive now and for 2022 to be my year. Um, and now look at me. I have a matching sweatsuit. That's all there is to say. It all started from that. <laughs> yep. The ripe old age of 12. So this was the plan. Louis had secured good marriages for all three of his daughters. He had also made a bunch of concessions to the Polish nobles in an agreement called the Privilege of Kosice. I did actually practice that quite a bit. Um, The privilege of Kosice. The nobles received the following privileges. I know Um, what that is. You do? That's that's one of the reasons that uh, whenever you proposed this episode, I couldn't do Polish royalty because they have these privileges so they can't be witches. Oh, wait, that was part of this thing? Like this whole like privilege of the nobles, this like air that they have to them. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons that you couldn't take them down easily for witchcraft. In Poland specifically? Yeah, just Poland. Oh. So yeah, when you threw that at me, that's one of the reasons that I had to jump ship and go elsewhere because I ran into that wall really hard. Wow. I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't know that that was part of this. So Maybe I uh, should like actually do research. Continue to enlighten me. Go on. No, I actually think you should continue to enlighten (laughs) me, but okay. (laughs) Okay, I guess I'll read my stupid little notes. Um, (laughs) No, it's fine. Um, So the nobles, so I was focused on like the privileges that the nobles got. 
Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't really looking at like what the king did for himself in the agreement, which is maybe why I missed that. Um, so the nobles were released from the obligation to pay tribute. They were released from the duty to build towns and bridges and to build and repair castles. They were granted exclusive eligibility for certain offices if they were of Polish descent in terms of, instead of like um, Hungarian or Lithuanian or whatever, um, which is racist, but you know, <laughs> it was a privilege that they got. Um, they would receive payment of soldiers' wages if they personally fought in military campaigns. And I was like, well, they hadn't before. That seems really bad. <laughs> but um, apparently now they're going to get paid to serve in the military. Um, and finally, they were released from the duty to provide food and lodging for the king when he was traveling within the kingdom. Because that that could use up a lot of resources very quickly. Um, and really cut into like their, their stores and stuff like that. And even it could ruin their fields too. Um, so they no longer had to do that in exchange for all these concessions. The Polish nobles agreed to recognize one of Louis's daughters as the ruler when he died. All this was agreed to in 1374 and they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) Um, that would be nice. That would be so nice. Um, maybe stop the episode here if you like that ending. Um, no, but that never happens on this show. They never live happily ever after. Don't you know that? You silly little <laughs> girls. <laughs> um, everything was great until 1378 when the oldest daughter, Catherine, died at the age of seven. I don't know how she died. I assume since it wasn't listed anywhere that it was some kind of illness like obviously not a plot or anything scary um when Catherine died Louis's plan to unite the two branches of the Capetian dynasty in a wreath um was shattered and he had to move quickly to confirm that the nobles would still honor their prior agreement and would recognize his middle daughter Mary as their ruler instead of Catherine Meanwhile, in Rome, in September of 1378, the cardinals turned against Pope Urban VI and elected anti-pope Clement VII, thus beginning the Western Schism. Not the anti-pope. Oh, yes, the (laughs) anti-pope. He's out here. He's living his best life in Rome. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Louis got like four different wars going on. Like his reign was just one big war. He started war on day one, and the war did not end. Um, It was his favorite thing to do. So there's a lot going on. Um, Louis did acknowledge Pope Urban VI as a legitimate pope. That was the side that he chose. So he didn't get sucked into the anti-pope controversy, which will come up later, which is why I mentioned it at all. Just a few years after all this chaos, in 1382, Louis's health really started to deteriorate. His last major action that he took was to call another assembly of the Polish nobility and demand that they confirm their loyalty to Mary um, and her fiancé, Sigismund, which they did on July 25th, 1382, and Louis died just a few weeks later. 
His death was the beginning of a very turbulent interregnum period in Poland. Um, But here's what happened in Hungary first. So less than a week after he died, 11-year-old Mary was crowned king of Hungary in the absence of Sigismund, whom Louis had sent off to crush a rebellion before he died. They did not like Sigismund particularly. They liked the alliance. They weren't in love with the man himself. (laughs) Um, So the coronation of Mary happened so quickly while Sigismund was gone. And Mary's legal title was made king instead of queen. Like it suggests that her mother, Elizabeth, who was now the queen regent, was really emphasizing Mary as the heir while also downplaying Sigismund's influence. So, like, it's in fact Mary who inherited the throne. Sigismund's just going to be married to her. Most Hungarian nobles were not thrilled uh, with the idea of a female ruler. They wanted to recognize Charles III of Naples as their legitimate ruler because he was actually the last surviving um, male offspring of the Capetian House of Anjou. Um, but Charles III was busy fighting a war in Naples and couldn't leave it unattended. So the Hungarian crisis was put on hold for the moment. Um, the Polish nobles did keep their agreement that they had made to Louis, um, that they would pay homage to Mary as their ruler, but they stipulated that if they were going to do that, that Mary should actually live in their kingdom. Like, if you're going to be our ruler, you should live here, which I guess is fair. Like, we wouldn't want our president to, like, live in Canada. Um, But, of course, Mary was still so young that Elizabeth was the real ruler. Um, And with the Charles III thing going on in Hungary, it wasn't a great time for Mary and Elizabeth to move to Poland. So what Elizabeth did was she sent an envoy to the Polish nobles going like, look, you can't have Mary. You can't have me. We're too busy, but I'll let you have Jadwiga. <laughs> She's 10 years old. There you go. Super annoying. <laughs> um, she really likes birds. <laughs> <laughs> constantly whistling. She has no friends. Um, you can have her. Like, we don't care. Um, you don't have to give her back either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Polish nobles are like, Hmm. like we hmm, funny you mentioned that because we had a different guy in mind uh for our leader that we want um he's a member of the Piast dynasty uh we don't want a foreign ruler um his name is i could not find the pronunciation so i'm literally guessing his name is simovit of masovia sure um we love him he's dreamy um, oh, good idea. Why doesn't he marry Jadwiga? That would be great. Win-win. Um, so Elizabeth obviously doesn't want to break the marriage contract between Jadwiga and William of Austria. That would look bad. Um, Austria is very connected to the Teutonic Knights, the Teutonic Order. We don't want them as enemies. Um, so she asked the nobles to delay Simovit's election until May 10th. She says, Jadwiga will be at the palace by May 10th. She'll live in Poland. She'll be your ruler. Everything will be fine. Don't crown that other weirdo first. 
Um, so both Simovit and Jadwiga are on their way to Poland to take the throne at the same time. It's not going to go well. Um, meanwhile, the Polish nobles are negotiating with a third candidate, um, the Grand Duke of Lithuania. playing like the bachelor over here. <laughs> they are talking to everybody on Tinder. Like, they're going to be like that one girl who had a date with like 12 Tinder guys at the same bar at the same time. Oh, <laughs> it's their glow up. It's Poland's glow up. <laughs> and we need to respect it. Um, okay, so they're negotiating with the Grand Duke of Lithuania, who is named Yogaila. I know how to pronounce that one. Yogaila was a pagan. He had been living, he had been ruling <laughs> and living in Lithuania since 1377. Lithuania was struggling. Um, it was basically divided into two main parts, ethnic Lithuania in the northwest, and then the expanse of territory that had formerly belonged to Kievan Rus. As the ruler of the last pagan nation in Europe, he was facing constant incursions by the Teutonic Knights, um, which was the order founded in the 12th century as like a crusading military order. Um, to protect Christians on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, like the Knights Templar and um, Knights Hospitaller. Their overarching goal was the conversion of the Baltic nations to Christianity. So Lithuania is like the last little piece of the puzzle and they just can't let it go. And they're just like attacking it all the time. And it's bad. It's a bad situation. Okay, so Grand Duke Yogaila is the third candidate for the Polish throne. Jadwiga is supposed to arrive in Poland by May 10th, but flooding has made the Carpathian Mountain Road inaccessible, so she misses her arrival date. Meanwhile, Simovit <laughs> has arrived for what he thinks will be his coronation. <laughs> um, Turns out it's an interview. <laughs> I don't know why I pictured him as... Jason Momoa, but I did. <laughs> Not that I think Jason Momoa is stupid, um, but he just has golden retriever energy. He has himbo energy. Yes. Um, like Kronk. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how I pictured this guy. So he, he shows up for his coronation and the archbishop refuses to crown him king. Um, super embarrassing. Queen Regent Elizabeth has sent word to the archbishop promising that Jadwiga will arrive by November after the whole like rainy season is over. So the archbishop does not crown this other guy. It stalls everything for a moment, but then Polish nobles secretly decide, no, we are not going to wait until November. If she's not here within two months, we're going to elect Simovit. So Queen Elizabeth learns about this from a secret letter and she realizes, okay, I can't do any more stalling. And she goes ahead and just shoves Jadwiga out the door to Poland, just kicks her in the ass. Have a great life. <laughs> we don't know exactly what date she arrived at Wawel Castle in Krakow, but we do know that she was welcomed by the nobles. No one objected to her coronation by the archbishop. It wasn't like it was it actually ended up being fine that she was crowned. She was crowned king of Poland in the same way her sister Mary had been crowned king of Hungary. 
some scholars say, oh, this is just, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a way to distinguish her um, as a queen regnant instead of a queen consort, um, meaning that obviously she's the ruler instead of being married to the ruler. Um, but others argue it's more significant than that because it was a legal title that ensured that the nobles would have to approve any future transfer of the title to of the title of king to her spouse. Um, and so the nobles didn't have to agree to a transfer of the title unless they were on board with whoever she ended up marrying. They both make sense to me, so I'm not sure what I think, but um, either way, she was the first female monarch of the Kingdom of Poland <laughs> at a whopping 10 years old. Um, so of course she had many advisors because she was so young, which can be so dangerous. Historians argue whether or not she actually had any real influence during the early years of her reign. Um, but she was reported to have a very mature uh, personality and very charming. And she did negotiate peace very early on between her mother, Elizabeth, and one of her advisors who had had a falling out. So the first big conflict of Jadwiga's reign was that the nobility did not want her to marry William of Austria. He was only 14 at the time, um, obviously <laughs> inexperienced. Um, they would rather have someone with experience commanding a military, someone who can protect their borders, which are constantly being invaded, um, like Yogaila, Grand Duke of Lithuania, who was like very experienced at that kind of thing, being the ruler of Lithuania. In January of 1385, Yogaila sent his envoys to request Jadwiga's hand in marriage. Jadwiga refused to answer. She said instead, oh, my, my mom can decide. Like, it's up to my mom. <laughs> you have to ask my mom. <laughs> my mom said no. <laughs> my mom said no. Uh, I can't come over. <laughs> exactly. Um, she's like, she's on the phone with him, but she's looking at her mom. She's like, say no, say no. Yeah, she said no. Sorry, can't do it. So the envoys go to Hungary to meet with Queen Elizabeth. Um, and Elizabeth evades the question. Um, she knows that legally Jadwiga should marry William of Austria, but she does share the concerns of the Polish nobles, so she doesn't know what to do. Meanwhile, William's father, Leopold, hears about all this, that like the marriage might not actually go through. So he rushes to Hungary to request that Jadwiga's marriage to William be consummated early, not consummated in the sexual sense, but like confirmed early. Um, so she had needed to be 12, um, but the law stated that it could be done early if she was found to be mature enough whatever the fuck that means she has to take a test she has to take a standardized test <laughs> to determine if she's mature enough to be a literal wife at the age of 10 years old um what the test was like beats the fuck out of me I don't know <laughs> who decided I don't know um actually I do know who decided it was the bishop <laughs> that's all I know about it um, so this is where things get complicated and the record of what actually happened is unclear, but I think it's really interesting to speculate. I love to speculate. 
Um, so we have record of William coming to Krakow in August of 1385 and that he was not allowed to enter the castle. It's been suggested that William and Jadwiga still met anyway in the nearby Franciscan convent. This would be the first time they had ever met. They've been engaged all their lives, first meeting, and they're getting married. <laughs> the municipal record states that on August 23rd, quote, an amnesty was granted to the prisoners in the city jail on the occasion of the celebration of the queen's marriage. But a different, like, contemporary to that, a different Austrian source says that the Poles had tried to murder William before the marriage could be consummated. They were not successful, and by most accounts, the marriage was in fact celebrated and was legal, if only for a very short time. So they probably were married. In terms of how the marriage ended, over a century later, a historian whose name I cannot pronounce <laughs> gives us this very juicy story. He says that two weeks after the marriage, William was, quote, removed in a shameful and offensive manner and driven from the castle, unquote, by Polish nobles after he entered the queen's bedchamber and that, quote, many people knew that she had for a fortnight shared her bed with Duke William and that there had been physical consummation, unquote. This was reported to be very humiliating for Jadwiga. Polish nobles just barge in her room in the middle of the night and yank her <laughs> naked husband out of her bed. And like, she's naked too, probably like very, very bad look. So... The account says that she tried to follow William from the castle and leave with him, but the nobles had barred the gates. I don't know if I believe that. Seems kind of like romanticized, but um, there's no doubt that William was forced to flee Poland. So Jadwiga is all alone now, and she really has no choice but to accept Yogaila's proposal. There are differing accounts of how she felt about the situation, Contemporary accounts say that she agreed to marry Yogaila after a lengthy prayer, um, that it was divine inspiration that made her agree. Um, that might be true. I mean, sure, it's possible. Um, but it has this like stench of like the divine right of royalty um, that really like gets under my skin. Like we see stuff like that all the time in hagiography where it's like, oh, God willed that they be married and revealed it to her in a dream. It's like, Does well, God really give that much of a shit. <laughs> fair. Um, <laughs> East is up there like, hmm, these two would be great together. I got to make that happen. Another baby matchmaker. And Gabriel, strike up the dream. Is God not the ultimate baby matchmaker? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you were doing your own thing. I was doing my own thing. I don't we know. Came together at the end. We did. It's beautiful. Um, uh, it's a very convenient plot line to be like, oh God said it was okay. Um, I feel like in a situation like this, like the 14-year-old who you've been married to your whole life would feel a bit more comfortable than the 35-year-old man who doesn't speak your language and doesn't like have the same religion. Age. Yeah, literally. 
It's like um, this this weirdo who could <laughs> he would literally just feel like that your dad's family friend who came over that you've never met before. Gross. Me. Yeah. And be like, it's your husband now. <laughs> oh, yay! <laughs> God said it was great. <laughs> um, and they don't speak the same language. They don't have any of the same customs. He's pagan. She's Catholic. It's it's fun. It's good times. So either way, she her being forced to accept the proposal, which she does the same month that she was married to William, is framed as this like great sacrifice for the greater good of Poland. Um, it's like the first huge step toward her being venerated as a mother figure to the kingdom. It's like, oh, she just wanted what was best for the kingdom. So here we are. Um, so she accepts the proposal in what's known as the Union of Krewo, I think, which is basically their prenup. Poland and Lithuania needed a prenup because they were not friends at the time of this union. They had fought a decades-long war against each other, but they had been allies for a time before the war. They had a common enemy in the Teutonic Knights. There was a lot of trade potential between the two nations, and they both saw the union as an opportunity to gain back some of the lands they had lost. So this is the agreement. Yogaila agreed to convert himself and his entire nation to Catholicism. Like there was any way he could possibly do And a wave of magic wand. <laughs> and suddenly you're Catholic. Hooray! And he would also pay 200,000 florins to William of Austria for the termination of his and Jadwiga's um, engagement. It was a marriage, but the Polish nobles were calling it an engagement to make everybody feel better. <laughs> Sorry we yanked you naked out of bed. Here's some money. <laughs> yeah, good thing you were only engaged and not married. Doesn't that make him feel like more of a prostitute, though? Right. <laughs> well... That's funny you say that because um, history tells us that William never accepted the money. He's like, I am not a cheap whore. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> am I just a piece of meat to you? <laughs> just a lady of the night. Um, poor little William. I feel bad for him. Not as bad as I feel for Jadwiga, though. Um, and Yogaila also agreed to return any lands that Poland had lost to Lithuania to attach the lands to the Polish crown and to release Polish prisoners of war. His formal, formal, formal election took place in February of the following year. And on February 12, 1386, he arrived at Babel Castle and was baptized. He took the name Vladislaw, like Vladislaus, I think would be a a different version of it, but the Polish version is like nearly impossible for me to pronounce. Um, but he took the name as an homage to Jadwiga's great-grandfather. He married Jadwiga on February 18th and was crowned king Jur Uxoris, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, it means by right of his wife on March 4th. Um, their marriage was not confirmed by Pope Urban VI because of negative propaganda circulated by William of Austria and the <laughs> Teutonic Knights. Um, These two are a bunch of bitches. He was talking mad shit about them. 
Um, it was very uh, lewd, I would imagine. Um, I'm sure he called her the worst kinds of names. So their marriage was later confirmed by the next pope, um, Boniface IX, whom they were friends with, which I'll talk about later. Um, with the marriage of Jadwiga and Jogaila, power couple, um, the kingdom of Poland was transformed into a diarchy, with the two rulers legally having equal control of the kingdom. In practice, um, obviously that was not the case since Jadwiga was a child. But she did take an active role in cultural life in Poland. Um, she also led multiple successful military campaigns <laughs> as a child. Like, I don't understand, one, what that means, two, how, and three, who allowed it to happen. Like, was she on the battlefield? Like, leading an expedition seems like you're actually there. Mm-hmm. Like, w- w- if she was that's fucking amazing and i love her forever she accompanied yogaila to the outer regions of poland to visit the nobles who um didn't like him um so she would appear in public with him and be like hey this is my husband we like him and everybody would be like yay i guess and they would be like what a weird couple (laughs) (laughs) i don't think this is gonna last we feel so much better about him now. <laughs> we definitely don't see him in a weird foreign pedophile. <laughs> this is my foreign pedophile husband who doesn't speak your language. Um, he's fine. I'm in charge now. <laughs> he's yeah, he's gonna be your king now. Yay. Yeah, so she had to do like a PR campaign for him because people did not like him. Uh, She also was a a big supporter of the poor. There are many court records of her. For example, she would do things like she would order judges to rule in favor of peasants instead of nobles. (laughs) Like we have records of that happening a lot. She was a queen of the people. People did really like her. Um, So the enemies of Yogaila... These these people who don't like him, they will not let up. A few nobles are not happy with the marriage, and it's becoming a bit of a threat. They're like unrest. Elizabeth, Jadwiga's mom, pledges that she will send troops to Poland to help with this uprising. But she can't actually follow through with that pledge because, as it turns out, Hungary has been sort of sliding towards anarchy Um, In the meantime of everything going on in Poland um, and has now fully plunged headfirst into (laughs) anarchy, a group of lords captured and imprisoned Elizabeth and Mary on July 25th, uh, 1386. And in January of 1387, they murdered Elizabeth. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, They released Mary, though. Um, (laughs) Maybe they thought she uh, she couldn't really do any harm any harm because she wasn't ruling anyway they released mary she continued to rule jointly with her husband sigismund until her very tragic death in may of 1395 she went out hunting alone i guess that was one of her hobbies um her horse tripped through her landed on top of her she was pregnant she went into labor she gave birth. She and her son both died alone in the woods. Write that story. 
horrific, but I love it. But I love every minute of that. It's so interesting that we know all of that and how tragic. And, but also it's like, was it an accident? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm very into the story of her death. It's terrible, but I love it. Um, so Mary's death meant that Jadwiga would now legally inherit the kingdom of Hungary. Um, but things in Hungary <laughs> were too tense to swoop in right away. Um, the rebels had killed her mom. It was not a good time. Um, also, Mary's husband, Sigismund, had been pretty much ruling anyway, and he was a fierce military leader. Um, they could not afford to cross him, um, mainly because they were busy dealing with the Teutonic Knights, who were constantly invading Lithuania um, <laughs> while Yogaila was in Poland. They maintained, the Knights maintained that his conversion, quote unquote, conversion was a sham and that Lithuania was still full of pagans to convert. Um, the latter was definitely true. Um, Yogaila had like ordered that a handful of churches be built <laughs> in Lithuania and like gave out like free t-shirts to everybody that said Christian on them. <laughs> um, I like to imagine them showing up for a service and then trying to do what they <laughs> think should be done at church. They get the hand movements all wrong. They're <laughs> kneeling when they should be sitting. Like, um, yeah, it's uh, a sonic nights walk by them <laughs> in the fuck. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> Even the priests don't really know what to do. Like, mm. um, yeah, they are not Christian, at least not yet. Jadwiga was um, one, another good thing that she did, important thing, was she was instrumental in finally arranging peace with the Teutonic Knights. Um, it's a very long story, but um, all the reports on it say that her intelligence were what sealed the deal. Her, her impartiality, which I was like, how could you be impartial? But I don't know. I'm just quoting Wikipedia at that point. Personally, Jadwiga and Yogaila were childless for over 10 years. According to Teutonic propaganda, this caused a lot of conflict between them. I picture William of Austria just super bitter, like drawing these like obscene cartoons and like <laughs> distributing them like Regina also, George. As every year passes, he's just like super happy that they're childless. He's like, I could <laughs> right. fucking given her a kid. He's like, bitch. right, exactly. He's like, I love this. This is working out great for me. So according to the propaganda, this caused a lot of conflict between the two. Jadwiga did finally become pregnant in 1398 or 99. We're not sure. Yogaila's cousin, whom he had installed as Grand Duke of Lithuania when he had come to Poland, um, sent them a bunch of expensive baby gifts, including a silver cradle. The royal astrologers, which dream job, are you kidding? The astrologers predicted that the baby would be born in September, but the baby was born early in June. So either the baby was premature or the pregnancy had gone undetected for a while. We don't know. The baby was a girl and they named her Elizabeth Bonifacia, I think, after Jadwiga's mother and Pope Boniface IX. <laughs> 
just feels like Harry Potter naming his kids. Albus Severus. You were named after the only two friends I have. My yeah. mom and that Pope who finally liked us. Exactly. My only friend is my dead mother and a random Pope. Um... <laughs> If we have another kid, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm out of ideas. Probably something Lithuanian. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, Pope Boniface, get ready for this, was the baby's godfather. No um, way. <laughs> fucking baller move. Imagine if the Pope was your godfather. That's so cool. What happens if your parents die? Do you just go live with the Pope? Maybe. Yeah. I mean... That would be your his legal responsibility, probably. Just go get raised in the Vatican. But he would probably send you somewhere, like off to a convent or something. I'm, I'm not, not sure. Not in my head. In my head, you get raised in the, <laughs> in the Vatican. You're with the Pope every single day. You're just following him around. Now I want to write a story where that happens to a baby, but her godfather is the Borgia Pope. <laughs> and just imagine. It would be, I mean, it's unwritable because it would be pornography. But I like writing pornography. <laughs> so maybe I'll do I've it. I've read your writing. So, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's it's not a secret. Um, but it's tasteful at times. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Pope is her godfather, which is the coolest. Um, but unfortunately, the baby dies when she's three weeks old. Um, and Yadviga was not in good shape either. The combination of uh, pregnancy, childbirth, complications, grief um, just overcame her. Um, she was only 25, um, but she fell very ill. On her deathbed, she advised her husband to marry this woman named Anna. I can't pronounce her title, the town where she's from. I don't know. Um Anna was her unmarried second cousin on her mom's side. She was another granddaughter of King Casimir of Poland. Um, Jadwiga advised this because it would strengthen Yogaila's ties to the native Piast dynasty and ensure that the people would still see him as a Polish king um, after her death. She died on July 17th, 1399, four days after her newborn daughter. Her will requested that she and her daughter be buried together, which they were in August. Yogaila did end up marrying Anna. According to popular legend, he did it reluctantly. He actually uh, first tried to go back to Lithuania. Um, and the Polish nobles were like, nah. <laughs> they had to track him down um, and reassure him that they would still be loyal to him as long as he married Anna. Um, apparently, they actually brought Anna to the castle without um, Yogaila's knowledge, and he was furious, and he didn't like her because she was ugly, um, and he invented a bunch of reasons to delay their wedding, <laughs> um, including making her learn how to speak Polish, um, which is a really funny double standard because he didn't have to learn how to speak it, but okay. Um, but they finally did get married in January of 1402. They had one daughter. Guess what her name was? Jadwiga. <laughs> he would go on to have two more wives and finally would get the son that he had long awaited. 
Jadwiga's cultural and charitable activities were really what endeared her to the Polish people, and they're a big reason why she's considered one of the greatest Polish rulers. She established and rebuilt hospitals, schools, and churches. She promoted the use of the Polish language in masses. She even had scriptures translated into Polish. The like large-scale movement to translate the Bible into vernacular languages was not happening yet but she did it. It was something that the church did not want to happen for a very long time. Um, The reason being that if they can't read it, they can't find all the contradictions and they can't walk away from the church because shit don't make sense. Um, So they wanted to keep the Latin uh, for a very specific reason, but Jadwiga um, had it translated into Polish. She had also asked Pope Boniface IX to sanction the restoration of the University of Krakow. Legend says that she financed this restoration through the sale of her own jewelry. I don't know if that's true, but I like it. Legend also tells us that she was very pious. She attended daily mass and she held a special devotion to the Virgin Mary, which was sort of her family's thing, um, the Virgin Mary. She was venerated in Poland very shortly after her death. Sermons written in the early 15th century emphasized that she had exemplified the virtues of holy women. Many legends about miracles were recounted. The two best known are Jadwiga's cross and Jadwiga's foot. So she would often pray before a large black crucifix in Wawel Cathedral. And it's said that one day during her prayers, the Christ on the cross spoke to her. Um, The crucifix is called St. Jadwiga's Cross and is still there in the cathedral with her relics displayed beneath it. Um, The other well-known miracle says that one day Jadwiga took a piece of jewelry from her foot, which I was like, a toe ring? (laughs) Or like an anklet, because one is okay, the other just feels gross. (laughs) But that she gave this jewelry from her foot to a stonemason who was um, sort of like, she passed by him and he was building a church and he sort of begged her for some money. So after she left, the stonemason noticed that she had left a footprint in the plaster floor, even though the plaster had already dried and hardened before she showed up. Um, So this footprint, known as Jadwiga's foot, is still visible in the Church of the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Krakow. I'll post a photo of it because I think it's really cool and creepy. (laughs) Um, There are many more miracle legends about Jadwiga, but those two are the most popular. She was canonized by our favorite Polish Pope, uh, John Paul II, in 1997. And that is St. Jadwiga. I'm always interested uh, whenever we run into saints who've had children, because it doesn't always happen. Right. Uh, It's very sad, though, that she died right after her baby died. Yeah. She had such a short life, but... So much happened in it and so much happened to her family. And man, like all the sisters just died tragically. Mm -hmm. That sucks. William is just over there, like furiously scribbling. (laughs) He's like, ooh, ooh, this is tasteless. (laughs) 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 Let me uh let me take that uh pamphlet back from you. (laughs) 
whoopsie. Yeah, uh, it's it's bad taste, William. I do like to uh, pretend in my head just now um, <laughs> that the reason that Yogaila, like he married the cousin, mm-hmm. the reason that uh, this was suggested wasn't because it was a strong alliance, but because the cousin was like super ugly. And <laughs> no one else wanted She's really homely and no one's, <laughs> she's never going to get married at this rate. So like, um, it would it would be great for the countries. <laughs> I I'm mean, setting you up. You know, shut up. Right. I mean, it's possible. She was apparently super nice and loved her family. So <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> that was probably another reason why she was like, "Yeah, great idea." Uh, Mary. So embarrassing, uh, though. Like yes, you have, like your cousin is dying, and they're like, "I'm just gonna give you my husband when I croak because you're so <laughs> ugly. <laughs> no one will ever marry you." Yeah, he's like 50. He doesn't really speak the same language. He, it just, it's so funny to think about like royal families, and like I usually get caught up in like, oh man, like she must have been so scared. She must have been like. But really, it's fucking funny. Just their inability to communicate the most basic of shit to each other. It's ridiculous. And they have to run the country together. Legally, they're required to. And they're like, charades is half of their conversation. (laughs) Literally. So I've known since I talked about the Pendle Witches, which is back in April of 2020. Oh my God. Way back in episode four. Talk about old episodes today. Yeah. Um, that someday I was going to circle back to the Samsbury Witches. And because you brought up family drama as a potential connecting point for today, mm-hmm. um, I decided now is as good a time as any to rope this trial in. Cool. The Samsbury Witches... S-A-M-L-E-S-B-U-R-Y. So there's some hidden letters in there. Thank you, England. Mm -hmm. Um, They go to trial in the same place, same court, and on the exact same-ish days as the Pindle Witches. Oh. Uh, It is the equivalent of, like, Judge Judy smacking her gavel and saying, like, bring in the next case. Mm. So they're that close together. I love Judge Judy. (laughs) Judge Judy just reminds me of being at my grandma's house Mm -hmm. and having nothing to do like that in days of our lives. Yeah. When I would like fake sick and stay home from school. Well, I wasn't faking really. I had depression, but... But I would watch fake sick by by the standards (laughs) of like ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Judge Judy, um, Jerry Springer, Steve Wilkos, just the trashiest daytime TV you could possibly find. Yeah, I. That's what my grandma would watch. My family watched CNN all day, every day. So I was never sick because if. I had to go home and be depressed and also watch CNN. Like I would have just blown my fucking brains out. Exactly. Oh, that (laughs) is dry. Yeah. And you find out how often they recycle the news stories when you watch it for like eight hours straight. Oh my God. Anyway, (laughs) 
Um, it is interesting that these two cases, the Pendle witches and the Samsbury witches have the same context, and yet the cases have entirely different political and religious agendas and outcomes, mm. which I will talk about later. Um, okay. Because it's cool. Um, so because it has been a massively long time since the Pendle episode, um, and if you hear a bunch of jingling in the background, that is my cat running around because I opened up a package and there's a giant cardboard box in my living room and now he's excited. So he sorry. loves it. It's his best day ever. Truly. Um, refresher. The Pendle trial is the 1612 trial in Lancashire. Um, yeah, Lancashire. It's mm-hmm. Lancaster later. Um Lancashire, where a little tiny Janet Devis gets 11 people killed. Nine of them are sentenced and executed in the Pendle trials because you had one who got executed in another town and one who died in prison. So they, at this time, were not worried about accidentally rounding up Catholics as witches because a dead Catholic was not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. What's one more (laughs) in the grand scheme? (laughs) (laughs) They truly did not care. Um, Hence Alice Nutter's inclusion and execution in the Pendle trials. This is a point in time where tensions between Protestants and Catholics are pretty high. England has recently gone through a series of monarchs from Henry VIII to the currently reigning James I, where Mm -hmm. each monarch is changing the religion back to their religion. So Protestant, Catholic, Protestant is back and forth. Make it pink. Make it blue. Yep. That's the joke I made the first time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. (laughs) I was like, ah, I won't make the same joke again. Oh, well, you're welcome. But you see how great that joke is, that it just sticks. It stood the test of time. It did. A year and a half later, there it is again. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, James has also recently gone through the gunpowder plot, which we made fun of last episode. (laughs) Oh, that was such fun. I wrote down which we discussed last episode and then I struck it out and put made fun of. Yeah, we made fun of it. (laughs) We made fun of it for like an hour. It's a stupid plan. (laughs) (laughs) It was really dumb. Um, not only that, um, he also went through a different attempted assassination in his words, um, in 1590, which resulted in the North Barrack witch trials, which someday I'll get back to. And I'll talk about, uh, all the witches I left out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, England is also hitting its swing of witch hysteria. So you have this big melting pot of shit happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, witches are an issue. Catholics are an issue. Lancashire is sympathetic to Catholics, but Catholics are still secret Catholics because authorities are rooting them out by making lists of who is not attending service at the parish churches in the area. Right. Like, hmm, mighty suspicious that grandma hasn't been to service in the last four weeks. Right. Um, and that's how they're finding Catholics. It's also how they're finding witches. Um, mm. and that's, why you usually accidentally get uh catholics as witches right because they're both not showing up right they're like fuck your church Mm -hmm. like "Hmm." we think that uh debbie down the road is a witch it's like no she's just a catholic and she hates you (laughs) she's just catholic she just doesn't like the protestants we don't let her out much she is uh very rude (laughs) she's feral (laughs) feral catholic 
The focus of our episode today is the Southworth family of Samsbury Hall, which is a cool hall that is super old and was owned by women for a good chunk of time and is rumored to have been haunted, um, to be haunted. Uh, I thought it was cool that you mentioned like the women acting as kings because um, the hall was like really neat that it got passed down to women in the family instead of men because of a lack of heirs. <sighs> Love that. Yep. And even whenever like men would marry into the family, like they would have daughters. And so it would go to the daughters again. It's like, mm, I'm nice. This is great. Yeah. Um, what is important about the Southworth family is that they are secret Catholics and mm-hmm. they have been Catholic for a very long time and they're not going to stop now just because it's in fashion to be Protestant. I respect it. Mm-hmm. There is one very important exception, though. Um, Sir John Southworth's eldest son, also named John. We love that for them. Yep. Big John and Little John. Mm-hmm. Little John is not only the heir of the hall, he is also a defector from his family's faith. Mm. He decided to go uh, go Protestant. He switched over to the parish church. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a whole rant about how it's really funny to me how it's such a big deal because I don't understand why it's a big deal. I know it's a big deal, but I don't get it. It's a big um, deal. It's still a big deal. Like if I became Lutheran, it would be weird. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be, but it definitely still is. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's weird. And I think for two reasons, one is I'm not Christian. And Mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to understand why it's such a big deal because like they're minor differences from an outside perspective. It's like, well, you all kind of believe the same thing. So why do you want to kill each other over that? Yeah. Um, And the (laughs) other thing is that, you know, that uh, I went to a bunch of different churches whenever I was a kid, Mm -hmm. um, played musical fucking chairs with churches. um, And like, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between them besides like little arbitrary rules and the ways that they taught stuff. Um, Like it was all the same thing to me. They were kind of interchangeable. So, you know, people like murdering each other over this kind of stuff. It's like, I literally just picked up one day and decided to go to the other church down the road and it was whatever. Yeah. I mean, I can see that for sure. And it is a bit embarrassing that um, tensions were so high to the point of literal murder. Like that's, that's pathetic in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, so from the inside perspective, I yes. think that one reason why I wouldn't really ever consider uh, becoming Protestant, like if I left the church, I don't think I would join a different type of church. I think I would just be done and I would mm-hmm. be on my own with my faith. Um, Not that I want to do that, um, but like, that's what, that's probably what would happen. Um, Just because like, I think there is such an emphasis in Catholicism for better or for worse, that it is the one true church. Like it's in all our creeds. It's in like everything we say. So like in our point of view, everybody else has got it wrong. It's a very arrogant position to take, but we did take it a long time ago and now we can't back down. (laughs) 
and then just add in the dead like the centuries and centuries of like bloodshed that we have put into it it would be too embarrassing to back down now (laughs) you gotta stick to your guns literally Mm. (laughs) anyway that that would be hilarious if you changed your mind now and you're like "Mm, well um sorry about all that i think i'll be jewish actually (laughs) like it just wouldn't happen um anyway anyway sorry you're good. Uh, like I said, I don't particularly understand it. I try to, but I don't. Um, but Sir John disinherits his son over mm. this, wow. over him um, changing faith. Um, so Sir John takes faith extremely seriously. He was arrested multiple times for refusing to give up Catholicism when they found out he was a secret Catholic. He's like, you can pry it from my cold dead hands. Mm -hmm. Respect. (laughs) Um, So John is kicked out of the Southworth family and his dad is mad enough that he goes out of his way to never walk past John's house ever. Wow. That's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, And as if converting to Protestantism is not bad enough, John marries Jane. Um, I did not write down her last name because most stories don't mention it, um, but I found it somewhere. And then I didn't write it down because I'm a dumbass. Um, (laughs) Jane is a Protestant who, and please forgive me for throwing out the blandest of white names at you, like a whole series of bland white names. John's uncle Christopher hates Jane because Jane is a Protestant. Okay. Um, If you forget those names, I forgive you. (laughs) Christopher is a secret Jesuit and a chaplain at Samsbury Hall. He will be important later on. Risky business. Mm -hmm. Um, Another person who will be important is the little girl he is currently instructing in prayers. 14-year-old Grace sewer butts and i love her name so (laughs) it's pretty great yes uh grace's family is our second family drama so we have two um but that family drama is set off by everything brewing in the southworth family Mm -hmm. also my entire foot is asleep from like the shin down yeah um Sorry, I look so antsy. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I keep shifting my like butt cheeks around. <laughs> Otherwise they go completely numb. Um a side note before I continue, because I could not figure out how to seamlessly work this information into a sentence. Um, there is yet another John in this family later Fun. on that is killed and he's canonized. Mm. Um I did not read anything about him beyond what was casually mentioned in the articles on my witches, but I thought it was interesting and worth throwing out there that the Southworths are tied to both witches and a saint. That's very cool. A saint in the family. Mm -hmm. That's lovely for them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, there are eight witches in total accused as part of the Samsbury trials, but five were thrown out immediately. So we're just going to focus on the three that actually went to trial. Okay. The first is, predictably, John's wife, Jane. Okay. Jane, by this point, is widowed and the mother of seven children. Oh, my God. 
It's a lot of kids. Too many. Especially as a single mom. Yeah. She's also mourning her husband. Right. Why is Jane accused and who are the other two witches? For that, we have to reintroduce 14-year-old Grace following the arrest of the Pendle witches, Justice of the Peace, Robert Holden started looking for witches in his own area of Samsbury in April of 1612. Mm. In the village, he comes across Grace, who is going to go on to proclaim that Jane Southworth plus Janet Beerley and Janet's daughter, daughter-in-law, Ellen Beerley. Sorry if this is a bunch of fucking names. Mm-hmm. Um, those three women have been practicing witchcraft on her grace. Okay. Now, notably, Janet is Grace's grandmother and Ellen is Grace's aunt. Okay. So you have Jane, Grace's grandmother, and Grace's aunt. Okay. Jane, Janet, and Ellen are taken to Lancaster Castle. That's why I got confused with Lancashire earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, to await trial in the same dungeon as the Pendle Witches. Wow. Because the courts are only in session a couple of times a year, like I mentioned, way back with the Pendle Witches. Mm -hmm. Um, The Pendle Witches are tried the 18th of August, 1612. A source or two lists the Samsbury Witches trial on the same day, but by and large, the sources say that their trial was the next day, the 19th of August, 1612. Wow. So, literally... Same dungeon, same courtroom. Wow. It's cool stuff. That's cool. Uh, Sir Edward Bromley presides over the Samsbury trial, and he's the one who lets five of the eight accused Samsbury witches go. Uh, And I don't know anything about these guys, so I don't know if they were also imprisoned and then let go or if they had been accused and they never made it to prison. Like they are so left out of like the articles and the records. I know so little about them. Mm. Like really all you get from the articles is just a passing five were let go. Um, and I couldn't find them in Thomas Potts, The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster, which is his record, not only of the Pendle trial, but also of the Samsbury trial. And I told you last night that I didn't read that. Um, and then I woke up at five in the morning. Like I told you, lights on, music on, clothes <laughs> on. Like I was still wearing like my jeans and my sweatshirt, glasses on my face. And I was like, you know what? I should just go read Thomas Potts's uh, record of the trials because I'm awake. <laughs> Since I'm up. <laughs> Since I'm here. Since I'm um, dressed for travel. <laughs> I wrote three pages and read that this morning. So wow. I was wired. Yeah. Um, I steamrolled through it five in the morning. Um, and I also couldn't find like any mentions of who these other witches were anywhere mm. in it. Um, it does not affect the story if you don't know who they are. And in fact, there's a fourth woman Grace accuses and quote old doe wife unquote, who disappears pretty much as soon as she's mentioned. And none of the articles mention her at all. I didn't what is even... she called? Old doe wife. Doe like, like deer. Smushed oh. with the word wife. I thought That's you meant word. doe like baker's wife or something. No, hmm. it's D-O-E-W-I-F-E. One what word. the fuck is that? <laughs> I have no clue. But a lot of these witches, especially in the... um 
the uh, the Pendle Witch trial, they have nicknames like Old Chaddix and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, and Squinting Lizzie was another <laughs> one I came across. That's like a heavy metal band. <laughs> yes. We are um, Squinting Lizzie. <laughs> What is a doe wife? I need to know. I need Squint and Lizzie to play with Roadkill Bluegill. <laughs> Roadkill Bluegill. I forgot about them. Um, Roadkill Bluegill would open for Squint and Squint Lizzie. Lizzie. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I saw Roadkill Bluegill open for Squint and Lizzie in 2022. Playing their hit, Five Men, One Banjo, You Figure It Out. <laughs> Such a long title <laughs> by Fall Out Boy. <laughs> anyway, she's thrown in there for um, good measure. Nobody else mentions her. The only reason I even knew that this fourth woman existed was because I um, got into Thomas Potts' record of the trials. Um, and she's so unimportant that like literally there, she she's mentioned and then she's never mentioned ever again. Wow. So Jane, Janet, and Ellen go to trial and they all plead not guilty to practicing witchcraft on teenage Grace. Grace is the main witness for the prosecution and she has a lot to say oh, on great. the subject. Mm-hmm. And note that this is literally right after, the day after, tiny baby Janet Davis got multiple people sentenced to death. So we are fresh off a little girl being taken super seriously by right. this courtroom. Great, great setup. Yes. Um, Grace tells the courts a bunch of weird shit, super weird shit. Um, she says that she was abducted several times by an unknown force and taken to the barns of her neighbors and abused, which uh, would leave her insensible for days. Um, and I didn't write this down because I had written that initially. And then I read Thomas Potts' stuff. It's when she was abducted, it said that she was like grabbed by the hair by the unknown unseen force. Yikes. So, so just yoinked Ooh. by her hair. <laughs> Ouch. I would pay to have been like an outsider watching this woman get like dragged by her hair through the village into oh a God. barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's scary. I do like watching scenes like that in horror movies, though, when they get, like, hoisted up by their hair by, like, a ghost. There's something wrong with you. You are not well. <laughs> that was your that was your tip-off. <laughs> no, this, I've suspected this is the it. Point when you figured it out. I've suspected for a while, based on the amount of it. times that you've told me that you are, in fact, unwell. But now I see for myself. <laughs> that's all it took was just telling you my favorite parts of horror movies no because that's the worst part of horror movies it's so scary i know that's why i love it (sighs) because you can watch it a hundred times and it's still like cool like every time it gets you yeah there are some things that in horror movies that like it's cool the first time and then the next time you see it like it's lost its shine you know what always gets me every single fucking time is when people are on the fucking ceiling. Yeah. I can't stand it. 
I don't know what it is. It's some like deep evolutionary gut level reaction. I just, I cannot fucking stand when people are on the ceiling. A really good ceiling one is in The Conjuring 2. I haven't seen it. Uh, it's awesome. This little girl, she's stuck on the ceiling, but like the ghost is walking around below her and mm-hmm. she's trying not to make any noise so that it doesn't look at her. And it's like my neighbor's vacuuming. Thank you. <laughs> sounds <laughs> demonic. It was I'm like, sure you can hear that. <laughs> it sounds like they're vacuuming the fucking ceiling. Um, God, don't as we're talking up. about ceilings. You? Um, but it's literally like this nightmare scenario that it feels like a nightmare of like this illogical, like, oh, I'm stuck to the ceiling. I better not breathe so the ghost can't see me. Mm. It's so fucking freaky. I like that. that it's like a role reversal. Mm-hmm. And it takes place in England is a little mm. girl being possessed by this like really old dude spirit. Mm-hmm. You should watch it. It's cool. Okay, I'll watch it. Anywho, now that I have shamelessly plugged that movie the <laughs> our ad for the conjuring 2 <laughs> this really old movie just randomly in the middle of the series well it's my favorite one in the series though it's good um grace goes on to say that her grandmother janet can transform into a dog that walks on two legs she has seen it herself Mm. Um, and as a dog, Janet has, quote, tried to force Grace to drown herself, end quote, which is the most confusing phrase to me. The dog on its hind legs tries me to drown myself. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so it's like coercive suicide. But like, why does Janet have to be a dog? Yeah. To do that. Like if a dog told me to kill myself, I just assume I was high. Like- also, logistically, <laughs> is the dog actually speaking or is it like, oh, the dog's energy told me. I don't know. And then if we get into like dogs, two legs and like bodies of water, then all I can think about is St. Good Boy. St. So- good Boy yeah uh yeah true so that's all i could think about the whole time then i'm like say good boy would never tell me to kill myself (laughs) no he would tell me to keep going keep trying even (laughs) if you're beheaded just pick that head up and carry it with you (laughs) oh anyway um there is an interesting moment with the dog that none of the articles ever mentioned but Potts does so i was really glad that i read his records where grace says the dog took her to a barn once covered her up in straw and then laid on top of the straw on top of her for a long time and she couldn't move and like the writer in me just loves the image of like this like Mm -hmm. smelling like the straw and the dirt floor of the barn and you just have like the weight of the dog on top of you and you have breath yeah, that mm. and then just this long moment, this suspended moment of terror, just not knowing what the fuck's going to happen because the dog's not going to tell you like if it's going to fucking kill you or not. So you're just waiting. Yeah. Am I going to get my face eaten off? Like what's going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's almost more scary than being like chased by a dog is having a dog fucking sit on just you sitting and not on you. go anywhere. Yeah. Um, Grace continues with some good old fashioned baby murder, um, mm. which I really shouldn't say it like that. Cause now all I can think of is like it being on like a vintage bottle of like lotion or something. Good old fashioned baby murder. <laughs> good old fashioned baby murder. Oh my God. 
like early script right like your grandma's favorite tried and true good old-fashioned baby writer exactly oh what the fuck is wrong with me (laughs) i'm not sure but i hope you figure it out me too (laughs) (laughs) maybe someday thoughts and prayers um Grace says that Ellen and Janet stole a baby from its house, uh, literally like snuck into the house, into the bed of like the master bedroom where mom and dad and baby were all sleeping, Mm -hmm. took baby out of bed, didn't wake anybody up, went to the other room with the baby. And with the baby, they drove a nail through its belly button oh yeah just bam um and then they sucked its blood Ooh, through the hole yeah slurp yeah that's disgusting yes 100 percent um and then they just like slept and then just put it back (laughs) and they're like yep there you go the end yeah. So it survived or did uh, they It kill died it? several days later. Oh. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's just so funny to me. They're just like, we'll just take it to the other room. We'll just um poke a hole in it like it's For babies are not juice boxes. Again. Um, we've had this discussion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a Capri Sun just <laughs> oh, I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> we have discussed I am unwell. Um, but yeah, and then they just put it back in the bed with mom and dad and they Ooh. go home. Oh, that's gross. So that baby probably had like an infection or something like an infected umbilical cord or whatever. Like we will get to okay, their sorry. testimony. They will come back. I promise that okay. they will come back. Okay, sorry. Um, I know sometimes they like there's a baby murder and it's just like, just oh, like well, was there it- actually a baby? We have no idea. Right. Um, these parents actually will testify. Okay. Before, so Ooh. we do get to hear from them again. Okay, good. Um, they put the baby back. A couple days later, the baby dies. Uh, they're vacuuming again. Sorry about that. <laughs> I thought that was part of the story. <laughs> Huh. Um, I guess that's one of those things where like the Aztec Empire and <laughs> Oxford University University are the same or whatever. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Um this is not enough. Once the baby is dead, it's buried. They wait. They go dig it up out of the cemetery. Grace says they take it back to the house. They boil it and they eat it Mm. um but then the bones that are left they render down like the marrow and everything they make a nice like ointment out of it and they anoint themselves and with that they can change shape Mm. um i don't know if this implies that to turn into a dog earlier Janet had to have had this um or if magically they need this to change shape right i don't know these stories are so like I'm making it up as I go and I didn't think about the logic of how all of this works. Yeah. Jane Southworth shows up in Grace's story once Grace starts talking about Sabbaths. She says Jane and Janet and Ellen all go to midnight meetings every Thursday and Sunday. 
uh, at Red Bank, which is, uh, there's some river near them. It's one of the, the shores of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and they meet, quote, four black things going upright and yet not like men in the face, end quote. Okay. With these weird things, they have a little dance party. They eat some, and then they have a nice sex party afterward. Sounds great. Yeah, just a chill, you know, Thursday and Sunday night. Down by the river. Yep. (laughs) Um, This is me throwing this out there. This is not suggested anywhere else. Um, I think this is like a place where other people could have been implicated in the story Mm. Um, because this is where people usually get implicated in other witch trials that I've seen. And it's like, oh, it's these three people or this person. And then we get to like the meetings and they're like, and these other 47 people were there. Yeah. So um, even though Potts doesn't like give any names of people that Grace saw, um, I definitely think that pre going to trial that would have definitely been an opportunity for her to have just thrown more names out there yeah probably so um another thing uh jane does that the articles leave out that Potts records is it's so fucking funny um she just keeps showing up in kidnapping grace (laughs) and Grace, every time she sees Jane, loses the ability to speak and move. So Jane essentially plays hide and seek with Grace's body. Oh, my gosh. Um, She abducts her, hides her somewhere, and her family has to go find her. Um, And I'm just going to read some of the document because it is unintentionally hilarious, which (laughs) is my favorite kind of hilarious. And a note that I am trimming and replacing some words for clarity. Mm -hmm. Quote, Jane Southworth did meet Grace at her father's house door and did carry her into the loft and there did lay her upon the floor where she was shortly found by her father and brought down and laid in a bed as afterwards she was told. The next day, she saith, she came somewhat to herself and then the widow Southworth came again to Grace's bedside and took her out of bed and thereupon put her upon a haystack, (laughs) standing some three or four yards high from the earth where she was found after a great search by a neighbor's (laughs) wife and then laid in her bed again where she remained speechless and senseless as before by the space of two or three days and being recovered within a week after she saith that uh, the said Jane Southworth did come again to Grace and did take her away and laid her in a ditch near the house upon her face and left her there where she was found shortly after. Yeah, that's it. But the haystack one got me (laughs) big time. That one tickled me, but yeah, they just like just put her up there, like um, way up high, uh-huh. and she can't speak, can't say anything. And everyone's just wandering around for hours, looking for her, find her. That's pretty funny. But yeah, the last line, just the matter of fact way that Potts just says that uh, later in a ditch near the house upon her face and left her there. That's yeah, it. That's pretty funny. Face down in a ditch. <laughs> and just um, like this limp kid, and it's just like flop by. Mm-hmm. She zooms away. But that's such a like harmless but silly game to play with like 
an insensible child that's just, I'm just going to hide her places and see how long <laughs> it takes her family to find her. That's pretty fucked up. Imagine if they were really bad at finding her. <laughs> Every time. She's just in the closet. <laughs> like the most obvious place. And it's been like two days. And mm-hmm. Jane knows that she's going to die if she doesn't get like food or water. So she's like trying to give like other people hands. Like, <laughs> hey, have you, have you checked the backyard? <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> the worst kind of Easter egg hunt. Right. Um, the court does hear from other witnesses, which I talked about. Um, Thomas Walshman is the father of the murdered baby, mm-hmm. um, who does confirm that his one-year-old died, but he says of unknown causes. Mm. That is the fr- unknown causes. But I would think that a bleeding hole in the abdomen would be kind of notable. Um, right. I wouldn't maybe call that unknown unless there was some other reason that he didn't want people to know that. But yeah, I would, if I, if that happened to my kid and I was looking for someone to blame, which I think I would be besides myself, like, like wanting to believe that something bad happened that was out of my control instead of like, Oh, I put him down the wrong way in the crib and he suffocated or something like mm-hmm. or like sits is a thing that they didn't have like a name for back then yeah just die yep um and there's nothing you can do about it so i think that there's a good chance that there was maybe an illness or something like that happened like suffocation mm-hmm. or um just sudden infant death syndrome and it was like you know maybe it there did drink his blood i i don't know and right died for that reason right Mm, that's sad yeah um but the other part of the story that doesn't particularly make sense the um there's no mention in his testimony of his child's body being dug up Mm. um and if a baby's body gets dug out of the cemetery everyone in the village is gonna fucking know about it right um and grace tries to like throw something into her testimony and she's like well i think that maybe they put like the rest of the bones back and buried it but i'm really not sure Mm. i would still think a giant fucking hole in like the ground of like where they took the baby's body out of would have been noticeable right yeah that doesn't make any sense yeah so i definitely think something happened to his baby and grace made up a story and he latched onto it because that was better than believing it was something preventable or unpreventable right he also decides to go ahead and throw in that in april he found grace in his barn and thought that she was dead because she wasn't like moving or talking or anything Mm. um but that she was fine the next day Mm. And I like to pretend that Grace just really liked fucking around in her neighbor's <laughs> barns. So she made up shit about being abducted. Um, I mean, kids do crazy shit like that. That gets people in trouble a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that it could be that she was never there at all when Thomas is lying. But mm-hmm. I think it's so much more funny if she <laughs> just was sneaking around. Yeah. Um, because I would make up 
so much shit um, if I could get away with it back in the olden <laughs> days. Um, I would make up shit now if I could get away with it. Like I make our- up shit all the time. Yeah, but could you imagine if you could blame everything on like fucking specters and like the devil and shit? Like, oh, sorry, I was rifling through your mail. Like an unknown force made me do it. <laughs> An unknown force pulled my pulled me by the hair into your pantry so that I could scavenge for a box of cheese crackers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that Grace was probably fucking around, like not doing her chores. And I was like, oh, whoopsie daisies. Uh, the witches got to me. The dog witch. It's like you were supposed to be taken down the laundry. She's like, I I got yanked by my hair into my neighbor's barn. I couldn't move for a mom. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Say no more. It's like, Grace, this happens every time I tell you to take the goddamn laundry (laughs) off the line. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, kids. Um, There are two final witnesses in the trial, John Singleton and William Alker, I think is how you say his last name, who confirmed that Sir John, Daddy John, Big John, John Sr., Jane's father-in-law, that the reason he refused to walk past his son's house wasn't because he was mad at his son. It was because he believed Jane was, quote, an evil woman and a witch, end quote. However, these two dunces, these absolute clowns, got their math wrong because Sir John died 17 years ago before Jane and John even got married. Right. I was like, didn't he refuse to go by his house before he was married anyway? Like, yeah, Jane was still a little girl living over in Stonyhurst with like her parents. Oh my God. That's embarrassing. Yeah. But I think John Singleton and William Alker worked for Sir John. So even though he's passed away, they're like trying to do right by like their old boss. um, Be like, "Mm." that is a weird attitude to have. (laughs) Yeah. They probably had some loyalty still to the Southworth family. And I mean, I guess. Anyway, uh, the prosecution rests their case and all three defendants are allowed to speak now. Um, And all of them go to their knees crying and they beg the judge to force Grace to tell the truth and to admit who strong armed her into making all of this shit up about them and uh, and who made her accuse them of Mm -hmm. being witches. And when they say this, Grace makes a face. And it doesn't say what kind of face, it just say that her face changes. She makes a face, but it's enough of a face that attention is turned back to her and everyone decides to question her again. Mm. And she does this thing that coached kids do where they repeat their stories almost verbatim and they can't deviate from the facts that they were given. Yeah. So... Grace cannot add any more details to her story at all. No matter how much they pressure her, they try to ask her from different angles. She can only say exactly what she said last time. Right. No other perspective on anything. Right. Cause she just memorized it. Yeah. It's like, well, what did you do before this? It's like, I don't know. Uh, Nobody told me what I did before um, this. Let me make it up real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I have have no idea. Um, I know what I did then though. I didn't know this was going to be on the test. (laughs) 
This wasn't in the study guide. No, um, it was one of those study guides where they, you know, give you the study guide and you show up to the test and it's completely different fucking questions. They're like, oh, we just wanted you to get like the concept. The vibe. <laughs> we gave you the vibe. And if you did not catch the vibe, that is on you. God, I hated study guides like that. I loved the ones that were just a complete like match <laughs> to the test. I just memorized them. Yep. That's how tests should be. Yes, they should. Um, at this point in the story, the trial randomly starts to mention the possibility of this being an evil Catholic plot. And I say at this point in the story, but when I got into Thomas Potts stuff, he does throw it into the beginning, but it is set up kind of like he wrote it after everything else. Like it's an introduction to everything. Yeah. So it's clearly written with like, he knew what happened at the end. Mm. Um, So it's still kind of at the end. Uh, The trial mentions the possibility of this being an evil Catholic plot that aims to set up these innocent Protestant women and get them executed. I will dissect that after I wrap up the story. Um, The judge orders two justices of the peace, William Lee and Edward Crisnell, um, guessing on that, to interrogate Grace. They do, and Grace folds. She does admit not necessarily to a plot, but to a priest having told her what to say. Mm. Which priest? The priest who taught her. Jane's uncle by marriage, Christopher, from the very beginning of our story, the chaplain Mm -hmm. who hated Jane for being Protestant. (laughs) When this information is revealed, Thomas Potts, the one documenting the trial, says, well, duh, we all know Grace's story was made up. Let me count the ways. Um, And they pretty much hold the Pendle trials up as like this test for real witchcraft, like what it's supposed to look like. Mm. It's really funny considering it just happened like the day before. They're like, this is witchcraft <laughs> by the book witchcraft it's or like, so i learned 12 hours ago did you just decide that thomas what the fuck they literally just decided yeah they're like well we killed them so we have to be right about that yep. <laughs> otherwise it looks bad so he's like um well so witches have dog familiars but they don't turn into dogs so that's wrong mm-hmm. um and um well the black spirits at the sabbath she talked about she said they had fair faces bullshit they have black faces because you know that's what the pendle trials said mm-hmm. um and like he's just going on and on and on and on and he even accuses uh thomas Sowerbutts, which is grace's father of just trying to get 15 minutes of fame off of the Pendle trials. And it's like, "Mm, okay. I mean, it just happened yesterday. (laughs) Like, give us a minute. (laughs) Like, I know that they're kind of contemporary because they've been waiting to, for like the court to open session, but like, it's still very, I don't know. It's very strange. Mm Mm-hmm. That he's just like, suddenly this has dawned on him. It's like, I documented all of this. Now that we've gotten to the end, I just realized that this quite possibly could be a cash in for fame. And also all of this evidence doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> Weird. Just um, unraveling. <laughs> yeah. I suddenly just now figured out. Um, the point is that everything unravels and the judge decides to quit 
all three remaining women in the Samsbury trial, which wow. yeah, never really happens. No. Um, Potts praises the judge at length for rooting out the this wicked papist plot that would have seen three innocent Protestant women sent to their death. <laughs> um, the judge warns those present to be on their guard for shit like this in the future. Um, and now let's break some shit down really quickly. Mm-hmm. One. I said earlier that it was interesting that the Pendle and Samsbury trials are happening at the same time and are so opposite, by which I meant that uh, I think it's super interesting that in the Pendle trial, we talked about how no one really gave a shit if the Protestant authorities swept up a Catholic as a witch. Um, We talked about Alice Nutter and mentioned her a second ago. Um, who's going to complain about a dead Catholic except the secret Catholics who can't really complain without outing themselves. Right. In Samsbury, you have Protestants being swept up as witches and being exonerated because of their faith, because this quote unquote Catholic plot to pass them off as witches and kill them, which is exactly what the fucking Protestants are doing to the Catholics. Right. At the same time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Literally at the same time. Like the irony of these <laughs> women sitting in the same like prison cell together um, when it's literally just their mere images yeah. of one another. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I just, I found that really fascinating whenever I read the Samsbury trial, I was for sure convinced that I was going to get uh, either witches or like another Catholic swept up into stuff. It's like, no, it's literally Protestants, um, and that's mm-hmm. why they get let go. Interesting. Right. Uh, to my second point, this Catholic plot. Um, it's hard to tell how much of the story might be Catholics or evil plotters propaganda. Um, this could be a case of family drama where Christopher Southworth abused his authority and told Grace to fuck over Jane and some of her own relatives because he's just a bastard um, and doesn't like him. Yeah. Um, the Southworth takes faith really seriously enough to kick the air out of the family and to avoid walking past his house. So it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, But if you entertain that, you have to entertain the idea of it being a religious plot where Christopher went after some Protestants purely because they were Protestants. It could have been religiously motivated. The difficulty mostly arises from the fact that the claims and the records of this being a papist plot don't show up until the end of the trial. And many people point out that if it was very clearly a conspiracy from the beginning, then the trial never would have made it this far through all of the confessions to in front of a jury through multiple witnesses. They're like, like they should have thrown it out at like the very beginning. It went through so many steps if it was this obvious. Right. And like, I mean, was it widely known that she had this Jesuit tutor? Like, I or was it all think secret? It would have been because... widely known because, like, he's he's secret, but it's not like nobody didn't know that the Southworth family wasn't Catholic. Like, everybody right. knew that they were Catholic. Right. And Sir John had been arrested so many times for it. Uh-huh. And they weren't talking to one of their relatives because he was a Protestant. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, it can't have been much of a surprise that if Grace had anything to do with that family, that she was probably studying with them. Right. But yeah, it's just at the end, just the way that they talk about it, they're like, well, it's very clearly a Catholic (laughs) conspiracy and it always has been. It's like, then why did it have to go through all of this? You, they should have shown up in court. You should have looked at the three Protestant women the Catholics were trying to pass off as witches and gone, well, this is stupid. Get out yeah. of my courtroom. Right. Um, so it can't have been that obvious or it it must have just been kind of like, oh, hey, wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so something is not clicking. Something's mm-hmm. not quite right. The people who say that uh, it never should have made it this far if it was obvious, they say that it's possible that the conspiracy was invented at the end of the trial because they saw it conveniently fit um, like this anti-Catholic narrative that they could push. It's like, you know what? All three of our accused witches are Protestant women. It would be really easy to just make up a Catholic bad guy, let all of them go. And then, you know, we can say Catholics are bad. Right. But even if you go with that, it's strange how once they come up with the idea of this being a possible conspiracy and they think that Grace has been coached, lo and behold, it's magically her Catholic tutor Um, Jane's uncle that is the one who coached her like they couldn't find literally anybody else it's just like the one Catholic that's connected to her right so it's like we want a Catholic to be behind it oh wow look it's a Catholic who's behind it (laughs) right that's behind the curtain exactly what we thought was behind the curtain right Um, so it's like "Mm, did they get that answer out of her because it was true did they get that answer out of her because that's the answer they wanted yeah And at the same time, Christopher does have a connection to both Jane and Grace. So if you think the other way around, if the authorities wanted this to be a conspiracy and were trying to find a Catholic to blame everything on, to have a priest connected directly to both Jane and Grace to use as a fall guy is like really lucky or really convenient. So there's the possibility that he really was behind it because just the chances of having one guy Catholic secret connected to both girls. Yeah. I don't know. There's too much stuff. I have no idea where the truth stops, where it starts is Christopher Patsy. I don't know. Was the trial religiously motivated? I don't know. Why did Grace go after her grandma and aunt? That's never answered anywhere. No clue. Um, but that is the story of the Samsbury witches who all escape with their lives, which has never happened before. <laughs> right. What a weird story. It's so weird. Um, I'm glad they lived. I was not expecting them to live, even though you said that it had a different outcome than the Pendle witches. I still didn't expect them to live. Um, and they didn't get tortured either. No, they kind of just like chilled in the dungeon and then showed up and then Grace made up a bunch of shit and then they cried and they're like, she's mean, she's telling lies. (laughs) And the judge was like, Um, sweetie, you you can be straight with me. Are you Protestant or are you Catholic? And like, we go to the parish church and he's like, cool, 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 cool. cool, 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 cool
They're innocent. Oh, wait, <laughs> shit. It was supposed to let it go to jury. Um, <laughs> jury? <laughs> write down innocent on a piece of paper and pass it to me. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, they were obviously innocent anyway. Yeah. And clearly. Yeah, but like, we always think they're obviously innocent. And then they end up tortured and murdered. <laughs> so it was a nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. Um. What the fuck is Grace's deal? I do not know. Um, I like Grace is definitely the answer to everything because kids, you never know if somebody's telling them to do something or if they're just a weird little kid who lies. Also, 14 is old enough to understand the difference between right and wrong. That's you like know? eighth grade. That's old enough. That is... I mean, I've got the shit bullied out of me in 8th grade, <laughs> so 8th graders are assholes. But but they know that they're being assholes. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> she, she knew what she was doing. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, someone coached me to say everything, and I am such a little child that I don't have a choice. Like, she had a choice. Mm-hmm. But also, if, if she was being tutored by somebody, like imagine being tutored by an old guy and you've been tutored by him for like years. And he's like, hey, um, I don't really like this woman in my family. You trust me, right? You see me all the time. Like you learn the good book from me. Um, there's this girl in my family, not even blood related to her, uh, her husband's dead uh so um maybe if you could just tell people she's a witch um just do me a solid um now that you say that i was thinking while you were talking about if pinkney asked me to lie in court i would (laughs) i would um so yeah (laughs) anyway um i am going to throw out my thesis um there is just, just learn that she's willing to perjure for the right people what is perjury anyway <laughs> i i just it's a lie i subscribe to a higher law <laughs> as a woman <laughs> no <laughs> as a feminist as a cat mom <laughs> as <laughs> just keep going listing adjectives but i Hmm. So, like these terms, like perjury, like treason, so harsh. They're just <laughs> government terms that the government wants to use on us because we're going against what they want from us. So, like they're not really like moral issues. <laughs> it just depends on the outcome. Like, in and of themselves, like, telling a lie is morally gray. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll stop there. (laughs) I just think anything, I think a lot of things could be justified. Not anything, but a lot of things could be justified. Like, stealing can be justified in many, many cases. And lying can, too. Um, And murder. And murder, exactly. And also, I do think that all humans are fully capable of murder. Like when people in true crime shit, when they're like, oh, he would never, he's not capable. Literally, somebody came at me with the machete dead. Anything near me, I am bashing your head in. 
everybody's capable of it. Everybody has a breaking point even, and it doesn't even have to be self-defense. Like you are capable of murder. That is not in self-defense. You're capable of premeditated murder. Everybody is going to ruin your life. Like you're always weighing things. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's going to expose a secret that like, if you were going to lose like your spouse and your children and your house and your job, like, like somebody else's life compared to losing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Kill yeah. Them. Everybody has something that you're going to lose your life either way. So might as well try and get away with murder. <laughs> right. Um, not that we're advocating <laughs> for that. Make that. This is clear. why we can't have a true crime podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our podcast is true crime though. Yeah, Sarah's like, perjury is fine because <laughs> <laughs> morals in the courtroom are not really the same thing. And I'm like, murder's great. Here's why, here's all the situations in which murder is fine. The idea of perjury, though, is... <laughs> Wait, listen. <laughs> the idea of it is just so the court can be like, you have to tell us the truth, otherwise you're not playing fair. That's all it is. You think Timmy... Tell me the truth. Right. There's a reason for it. And it's good that it exists and that you're not supposed to do it. But like, it really is just like one of the rules of the game. Yeah. There's so many rules. Courtrooms are so scary. I think if I ever had to be in a courtroom, I would just pee my pants because I don't enjoy being surrounded by authority. Something about people with this, like... Cops always just make me feel like I'm doing something wrong. I can be doing absolutely nothing and I feel like I'm breaking the law. That's what they want you to feel like. It's scary. They're just a big old gang. We're really off topic. I know. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay. Well, that was good. I think the combination worked. The theme of like, what the heck is going on in this cursed family? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it worked. Uh, Next time we... We'll hopefully be joined by um, the lovely, illustrious, incomparable <laughs> Ballard. <laughs> Ballard, um, our good friend um, from undergrad and grad school, to talk to us about his great passion. His only passion. His only, really, his only reason for existence, I think, <laughs> at this point. So that will be exciting unless he flakes, which he is kind of a flake. So we will see. (laughs) Have a great Thanksgiving. Anybody in America who celebrates it? Anybody else? I don't know. Go eat a pie and think of us. (laughs) (laughs) Think of us longingly as you devour some pumpkin pie. Um, I would be jealous of America. Have you seen Thanksgiving? Like all, all the fucking food. It's so good. It's so good. I would be super jealous if I lived in another country looking at America's just like plates. Oh my God. Home cooked food. I cannot wait because I'm going to my parents' house like a little baby (laughs) because I don't feel like cooking. (laughs) My family decided to throw Thanksgiving last minute. So as long as it doesn't sleep tomorrow, um, I'm hoping that the temps stay above freezing so that the rain doesn't freeze. Nice. And I will be going home and I will get food that I didn't have to cook myself. It's the best. 
All I have to do is bring a pie. I don't have to bring that. I'm just going to bring Tupperware. (laughs) My mom said I could only come if I brought a pie. (laughs) (laughs) My family, I just never go to see my family. Um, Mm -hmm. So they get to see my smile. (laughs) So they actually like you. (laughs) So they're like, please, for God's sake, it'll be another year and a half before we see you again and you'll be older. You'll be old and gray and withered I'm because gray. the uh, the potion will have worn off. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you've caught on. <laughs> ah, let's end it there. <laughs> um, so yeah, happy Thanksgiving, happy Black Friday, um, happy um, happy everything long that matters weekend. to anyone. Yep, and we will see you next time. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.